the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know, it's interesting how in Scripture they have names for the Lord. And those of you that are a little bit more knowledgeable in the Word, you'll know that there's different names will depict a different aspect about God. And so it's neat to know the names because each one will explain who He is better to you so it helps you to get to know Him better. We also know that we can't get our prayers answered without going through His name. We learn from the song and through the Word that you can't go to heaven without calling upon the name of the Lord. And yet Scripture says He exalts His Word even above His own name because it's all so much intertwined together. I'd like to tell you a story for those of you that weren't here then. But back in October, the very first Saturday night and Sunday of 2005, there was a tremendous rainstorm up on top of the poly here. And it was one of those freaky storms that occasionally kind of parks on top of our different Malka Mountains here. And this one happened to hit the poly. Well, I arrived first that particular Sunday morning with Carol. And as I came into our parking lot, it was like a gigantic swimming pool out here. And of course, when that occurs, the water gets under the door, gets through all the first uh, floor areas. And then the water was rushing basically right through the behind the pulpit here. There's a back door there going right down the aisle. So it was a real tremendous uh, flood that we had. And most of you may not know this, but when you drive your car here, you're actually driving over part of the Nu'uanu stream. Many, many years ago when the church was being built and soon afterwards, they were able to put some cantilever pieces of concrete on here that they were able to get for free to cover up the stream in a sense that we could drive cars on it. And you can see where that stream will come down the mountain. We had a lot of rain. We've had rain before here, but it never flooded this badly. So by the time we could slosh our way through the water and see what the damage was, and this was on Sunday, trying to get us somewhat cleared for worship, which we never really did. We had to worship more in deed than we did in music that day. And many people served. Those, those of you who are here, you know what I'm talking about. We made our way through the water. We got to the end of our parking lot. And we noticed that what had happened when the rain occurred, obviously, as it is in any type of a valley area, it collected all sorts of debris, including a radiator of someone's car, sloshed down the, the, the riverbed, the creek bed there, the stream. But some big logs came down there as well, logs that were old and perhaps rotted at one time. Maybe people cut them down and left them on the side of the banks and didn't clear them away. But in any case, all that debris came and it hit the edge of our parking lot. And normally with the rain, if there's no debris, we have no trouble with it just passing on its way out to the sea. Well, it didn't do that this time. The debris stopped there, including a lot of large logs. So when the water hit that, it ended up rooster tailing, they call it, and it went over the top of the logs, and then all the water, instead of going under our parking lot like it should have done, all that water from up in the poly went on top of our parking lot, and that's how this got all filled during that particular rainstorm. Well, the story goes on and on. There was one of our men here, John Deco, came to me, and he likes to work with wood. And he ended up saying, you know, during all of that debris, we had some special uh, island uh, uh, wood that came down there, and he said he'd like to have some, and we gave it to him. And I wanted to show you what this wood looked like. 
this is a, such a small portion of the wood. I mean, we're talking a huge logs, many of them, but they were like this. This is in its raw state. And I want you to know that it's a very beautiful piece of wood. At one time, it probably stunk a little bit because of the water, but now it smells so fresh, it's dried out. But John didn't want me to just have this piece of wood, although I'm so grateful to have it because it is a little bit of a physical remembrance, not so much of the flood, but more of what God did through you here at this church as we came together to resolve this conflict and then watch how God took this challenge and blessed us. But John did more than just give me this piece of wood. In his great love for what he does and, uh, and for his pastor, he also then made out of that wood this most beautiful hand-turned bowl over here. But I have to tell you, this is, an, in my opinion, it is the finest handcrafted bowl that I've ever seen from someone like a master carver. And I'm going to set this up here in the pulpit, and I'm going to ask Mr. Deacle if he would watch these so no one takes them, all right? <clears throat> no, we don't have thieves in here, but they are so nice. But I wanted you to see that, but I want to say a little bit more about it. In a sense, in a very true sense, uh, we're brought into this world that we have purpose. God wanted us to be born just like that piece of wood. It had purpose. God wanted it to grow, and we had it on the island. And who knows how many people maybe enjoyed the, uh, the coolness of the shade when it was a live tree. But we also know that God wants to take us and he wants us more than just a human being helping other human beings until we expire. That God, he has in his mind a great purpose, an eternal purpose for each of us. And he wants to turn us into this beautiful bowl here. But often to do that, we then have to then be a part of his plan. And for those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it was his plan to take you from this piece of wood and to have you have even greater and longer lasting value as this other piece of bowl. But when he does it, I don't know if he would ever use a tool exactly like this, but this is one of the tools, of the many tools, that John used to help this bowl look real nice. Now when I pull it out, it's a real nice piece of wood, isn't it? Just a little club. Now he didn't club that piece of wood to make it look like that. What he really used was this end over here. Now this end is so sharp that I can almost shape with it over here. So I have it in this container so I don't cut myself. So it has a purpose, and the purpose was is that that piece of wood would be fastened to a piece of machinery known as a lathe, and it would spin around, and as we would take this, it would spin it around until eventually it would become a bowl. Now there's some pressure, there's a tremendous amount of wisdom and guidance of the person that's moving this uh, chisel to make it happen that way, but eventually the outcome will be that bowl, and people like you and me can not only enjoy that bowl, which we will, but I'm going to tell you, I will never forget that John Deacle made that for me. That forever, for the rest of my life on planet Earth, I will know the person who designed and then chose to give me that bowl. And so and as I look at you and me, we're very much like that. I know you know the story, that we were in God's mind, but God says, I'm not finished with you. And frankly, that bowl may be finished right now. But you and me, we are not finished right now. We still have a future. Now, some of us are further along in the uh, making of us or the remaking of us, but we still have further to go. And my encouragement to you would be, while God chooses to use whatever chisel of life, preferably his word, mostly and only, but sometimes he uses the things of life to drive us to the word to change us. I pray, though, that we would be patient with the person yielded to God, but also be patient with God because God sometimes will speed up a process with someone. They kind of grow more fast or grow faster. Some takes a little bit longer. But in all cases, he's changing us from the old to the new. Now, if I could take that same thought and change it just a little bit. Those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior, God immediately gave you a new life. 
Now that new life has purpose and direction. You have power in it with the Lord. But even that though, God says, I want you to take that new life and I want you to clothe it. In other words, take it and now add to that life. And as you add and you build upon that new foundation of faith, God does some wonderful things to you. Remember, we died with Christ, but now we're also alive in God again. And with that new life, we have new life. We have new act. We act differently. In a sense, we might dress differently. Our whole being takes on different. That wood bowl is still wood. But it's different than that piece of wood that came down the stream and clogged up our, our parking lot here. So that's going to happen to you and me. In fact, Warren Wearsby says this, that what we do is we take off the grave clothes and we put on the grace clothes. Isn't that a great term? And he really does that and he wants all of us to do that. So in doing that, if we're to be putting on this new set of clothes, spiritual clothes, we become that beautiful person that God wants us to be from the inside out as his child, then what would be some of the things that we would do? Well, I'd like you to listen for a moment as I frame the rest of chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4. We're going to talk about how that there's a new foundation, that we become all new. We got this new you, so to speak. And we begin to add to it. Now, there are some important, critical, foundational principles that we have to have in our life. Then God very wisely does this. Then he moves from the foundation. And he says, now, in that you have a new life, your life is never alone. You are not an island in the sea of humanity. That you are vitally connected to other humans, whether they're Christians or not. And he says, and because of all of that, you live that new life relationally. Then what he does is he begins to compartmentalize various parts of our life that we would have a relationship. He'll talk about marriage. He'll talk about family. He'll talk about work. He'll talk about those that are believers in Christ, to other people, our friends, and he'll talk about unbelievers. So why today's message is so critical for you and me is because we are now new in Christ. We have a new life. We must embrace these new foundational principles so that in the future as I build on how do we live them with other people, we'll do it from a character reference, a way that we're more like Christ. and It'll make it easier in the relationships that we'll have with other people. So all these messages beautifully come together in our wonderful study of the book of Colossians. So let's begin by talking about clothes for a moment. I know you're looking at my clothes and your clothes. Everybody looks so pretty today. You look so nice. But as I think about clothes and God wants us to put on, so it's like putting on clothes, what do we do? I kind of made myself some thoughts here. I, I wrote down and says, you know, something about my clothes is that I change them daily. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope you're sitting next to someone who changes their clothes daily. Some of you sometimes are sitting next to someone on a bus who unfortunately maybe didn't have the opportunity to change their clothes daily and you've been downwind of them. But God wants us to change our clothes daily. So what you will be thinking of is in this message, whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian, you embrace these principles and say, Lord, is there something that I have allowed my, my clothes that I had to get old and stale and I need to change them daily? The second is that you put on one piece at a time. Can you imagine what it would be like for me to try to put on my shoes and my socks and my shirt and my pants all at the same time? I'd be a clown up here doing this. And God says, no, no, you should have all your clothes on, but you put them on one piece at a time. And then thirdly, and don't go too far with this, you need to put them all on. You can't just walk around with half of your clothes. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if I came up here today and I was barefooted and we won't go any further than that. God wants us to put all of our clothes on. And so today as we begin to unpack some of the clothes, spiritual clothes, character clothes that we should put on, he would want us to put them on one at a time, but he would want them all on. Now moms and dads that are working with your kids, let me give you an idea for you. You might want to take some of this message and see if you could do it in a visual with your kids and maybe identify various clothes 
clothes and then talk about those clothes and how they could put them on and then begin to work on clothes and do a word study in scripture on each one of these principles and to help your kids know that they are taking off their old life, even if they're young, and they can put on a whole new life in Christ and start them out in that direction. What a joy it will be. So how on earth do heavenly people live? What does the new life look like? Let's look at number one. We're going to put on the love of Christ. And usually when we put on the love of Christ, how does that show when I'm relating to family and friends and neighbors and associates? And if I'm putting on the life of Christ, what would that look like? Does that mean I grow my hair long? Do I wear a robe? Do I wear sandals? Do I carry a staff maybe? Do I live in uh, the Middle East? What, what do I do if I become more and more like Christ? It's so neat because the Lord says, what I'm about to tell you is something that you can use in any culture at any time because they're principles. Look at the verses I read these three to you. It says this, Therefore, as elect of God... Holy, beloved, put on, and then it goes through a list of what to put on. But I don't want to get into that list yet. I want to look at the first part of this. If I was to begin to become more like Christ, what are three truths that I need to recognize about these? So let's look at three of them right now. We need to recognize three truths found in the first part of that passage. First is, I'm chosen by God. In order for me to put my clothes on, to realize that I'm special, that I have a new life, I need to know that I'm chosen by God. See, it says, therefore, as the elect of God... You are chosen. Let me see if I can appeal to your emotions for just a moment. Maybe down memory lane, you could remember a time that people were picked for a team. And different ones got on this team, but you weren't picked for the team. Or worse yet, the coach said, okay, we need to kind of get in squads right here. And you're going to be the captain of this squad. And that guy's going to be the captain of that squad. And you're sitting out there. And they didn't pick you to be the squad leader. And so you're waiting. So then he says, okay, all these guys are out there. Squad leader, pick out who you want. You get first pick. You get second pick. And so they're going through all of this. And you're waiting to be picked. You're raising your hand, jumping up and down, wishing they'd pick you. And finally, you're not picked. You're kind of the last one and says, okay, you had first pick. So you get so-and-so. Do you remember ever a time when they were picking people and you weren't picked or you were picked last? Well, I want you to know that you don't have to feel that way with God. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are part of God's forever family, and He wants you in His family. You are chosen. And because of that, you should walk around with a sense of security, of love, and purpose in your life. Look at number two. You're a holy person. That means that it should make a difference. Because you've been picked, you are different. If I'm picked to be on a team and all of you are picked to be on God's team and God's family, that's because you're separated onto His team. So do that proudly. I remember when I was going around the country and speaking for Promise Keepers, they would um, give us various outfits that we would wear. And I remember that they would have the name Promise Keeper on it. And when it was really big in the heyday, people would look at that particular shirt and all the guys would kind of flaunt their little Promise Keeper shirt. And I kept telling them, you know, what makes you a promise keeper is not the shirts and the hats and the t-shirts that you wear. What makes you a promise keeper is from the inside out. And so you can dress the part, but God wants you to be the part, and that's the holiness. And then the third is that you're a dearly loved person. And that's what the passage says, my beloved, you're dearly beloved of God. And he changed you, so now you have a new place in heaven, you've got a new father, and you are special to God. Well, if you're really special to him, and you are... That must mean that your life should take on some newness in it. And that's what it does. Because I'm new, I should make some daily choices. So what should my choice be? I'm a new person, got to make some new choices. And now we're going to go over that list. Now before I do, let me tell you often what happens when we read the Bible. We get to the Bible, if there are lists in the Bible, we see it as a list and we say, oh, that's just a list. So we read through it quickly and we get on to other things. But sometimes when God puts a list there, he wants us to park on the list and really understand what it is. So it's not like you're looking at a closet full of clothes right now. I want you to look at that special shirt. 
Ladies, I'd like you to look at that special muumu or, or dress that you might have. You look at those special slacks, those special board shorts that you have. So you look at those particular items, and this is the list that God says, if you are a Christian, you've got a new life, and you got that new life, and I promise that I picked you, that you are holy, and that you're separated unto me, and you're loved. Then he says, this is what I want you to wear. And I'm excited because now God's reaching into his closet of clothes that will never end. But I have to put them on, keep them on. So here's number one, tender mercies. Basically, that just means compassion. And your question would be, do you suffer with other people? Do you feel their pain and do you do something about it? Kindness. That means you put the needs of others first. When you're kind, then you want to make sure that their feelings aren't hurt and that their needs are being met in a special way. Humility. Humility is interesting because it means thinking more of others and most of God. Thinking more of others and most of God. And then meekness basically means we're under control. So you can ask yourself, do I drive meekly or do I drive with road rage? So am I a meek and gentle person? Long-suffering. All right? Check out if you've got that piece of garment on. And that would show, are you patient when you have to wait in line or when you're in traffic or you have to wait for someone to come online when they put you on hold? So do you show long-suffering? Are you willing to put up with affliction for many, many years and maybe never have the resolution to your health or finances or maybe even a broken relationship that can't be healed? Will you still be long-suffering? And then it says bearing with one another. And then finally it says forgiving one another. Let me show the difference between bearing with one another. Bearing with one another means when you have people that are out there, whether they do it ignorantly or purposely, they irritate you. Then they grieve you. They bother you. All right? And it says to put up with those people who irritate you. Forgiveness is different. This is not when those people bother you. It's when they sin against you. If they bother you, you put up with them. But if they sin against you, then God wants you to forgive them. So that's how you would deal with the bearing up because there'll always be irregular people in our lives. There'll always be people that'll be there and then not be there. There'll be the people that are kind of irritating you. So what does forgiveness mean? You're saying, okay, I'm putting on the cloak of forgiveness. What would that look like? Well, it means that you're not going to bring up the matter once you've forgiven the person. In fact, it's kind of interesting. The Old Testament forgiveness means to release them. You kind of put them back in the position they were in before they violated you. In Hawaii, we call it ho'oponopono, where we sit down, we talk about it, we fully forgive them and release them as well. And so again, as we don't hold that matter against them. Forgiveness also means we don't gossip about other people, which means that if you've forgiven someone, don't talk about them. Better yet, if you've been offended by someone, still don't talk to anybody else about it. You go to the person that's offended you, and if they said, I'm sorry, no one should have ever known that you've been offended or the, who the offender was in your life. You don't talk about it any longer. And if you do, you've got dirty clothes on and God wants you to take that off because it's gossip and put on the spirit of forgiveness, which means you don't talk about it once you should have forgiven the person. And then number three is remind yourself, don't remind yourself rather, that what you've been forgiven of. If you keep thinking about how badly you were offended, it's kind of like staying in the dirt storm any longer. Kind of get out of that. But that's not all if you're going to experience the love of Christ. And that is we need to make an overall commitment to love. Um, if you'll notice at the end of that phrase, it says that above all, that we would love one another. Above all. It's kind of like, I don't know, you, I'm not going to lift up my shirt, but I'm wearing a belt right now. But my belt basically is going to hold my, my slacks on that I have here today. I have a lot of clothes, but what holds it all together is going to be often a belt. Well, if you and I would have our clothes on now, the clothes of character, what holds it all together, what keeps it all in proper symmetry, that which puts it together will be the belt that we would wear. And that's number one and what God wants us to do with a new life. He says again that we want to put on the love of Christ. So let me ask you, 
Are you not only experiencing his love? You should be. And if you are, then how about it? Are you demonstrating the love of Christ to others by a character change in your life to be more about them and helping them? Ask God to parade someone in front of your life right now who's an irregular person and what you can do to bear up with them. And then those who have offended you, what you can do to forgive them. But that's not all. Number two, we're to be ruled by the peace of God. We're to be ruled by the peace of God. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, that word rule comes from an interesting word, which means umpire. And the young people here, maybe some of you others, played softball or baseball together. I don't know. I played baseball. wasn't all that good at it, but I played it. And I was a, a catcher. So often I happened to be right there at the seat of the action when the guys would be coming across home plate. I would be the one that would be watching the pitches that would come in and the guy behind me, the umpire, would have to call it a ball or a strike and sometimes the, um, the plate umpire would be the one directing all the rules of the game, working through the other umpires. Well, here's what it's saying. The peace of God is like an umpire. It's an invisible umpire that's directing our life. And so as we yield to the peace of God, not emotional self-made peace, but God's peace, that ought to be able to rule some of the things that we do. And maybe to help you with that, you'll see it more in context here. What are the three essentials for peace according to this passage? Number one, we're members of one body. It says, let the peace of God rule umpire in your heart. And it says, which also you were called in one body, that we are all one body, that you're called into one body. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Each one of us needs people in our life that we can talk with, that we can talk to, that we can get input from, that God didn't want us to be an island and how important for us to be together. It was interesting this morning, I was talking to Grandma Mac because I was telling her that in our house I had to do some painting. And, uh, and so I was painting and she said, I'm painting too. And I said, really? She said, I'm painting some of the eaves up in our house. And I said, are you on a ladder? She said, oh, no, no, I, we made a scaffolding. We? And she said, yes, Lincoln and I, we made the scaffolding and we both go up on this scaffolding together in case one of us has a problem. So we're both up there to catch one another when we fall. And I just got thinking about how in the world would, <clears throat> anyway, how would you catch each other if you would fall? But they're both in it together, helping one another accomplish a greater goal. What helps us to have the peace of God is to realize that we need one another and watch this. And we need to love one another, to accept one another, to give ourselves time to grow with one another. It's all important to be together. The other thing it says here, we have God's calling in our life. Now notice very carefully, it doesn't say, to which also you were called into one body. It's not talking about God making you a part of his family. Now what he's saying is, you're already a part of his family, but in his family, he's going to call you. Now here's my question to you. You know at times, if you're trying to walk with the Lord and you're trying to please Him, that if you're about to make a decision in your life, if it's away from God's calling in your life, immediately what will be removed from your life will be a supernatural element of God's peace. Because all of a sudden, He's called you to do something. He's calling you maybe not to do something. And when you're going to run out of bounds, when you are now going to commit a foul, the Holy Spirit will give you and take from you peace. He'll give you the peace when you're playing by the rules. He'll remove that peace when you're not playing by the rules. And so the peace of God is there to be an umpire in your life to remind you of these things. That's why it's important to be critical, to be very close to the Lord and how important that is. But then finally, it says also to be thankful, to be thankful. 
Now, I don't know how much affliction any of you have gone through in your life, but in my mind, as I read biographies, one of my more favorite afflicted people that has suffered a great deal was a lady by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. She was the, the lady who had taken in Jewish people to hide them from the Nazis that were trying to exterminate uh, Jews in Germany at the time. But eventually she was caught, she and her sister, family, etc. And she was put into a concentration camp. Eventually she died, and uh, not in the camp, but she had a horrible experience there. But she did die, but she used her testimony. Before she died, she talked about the things that she could put up with in the concentration camp. The death, the smell of death, the pain, the crying, the loneliness the bad food, the stench, the pain, all that she went through. But in her biography, she said the one thing she had the hardest thing to be able to put up with is this. It was lice, L-I-C-E. It's those little bugs that kind of get in your hair and get it. She hated those lice. And she said that God put those lice into her life for the reason to develop a spirit of still being thankful even for the little problems that she has so that she could be grateful in all things and for all things. And I took the word lice here and I thought, L-I-C-E, how could I make something out of that? And so I put down, Lord in control everywhere. The way I can be thankful for those tough things in my life, the lice that might come into my life, is to realize that the Lord is in control everywhere I go. So those of you that go on a trip and your luggage is lost, the Lord is still there. When you go through a problem, the Lord is there. Or maybe another way to look at it is this way. The Lord is in control eternally. He never steps off his throne. He is always there. He has your best interest in mind. He wants you to be all you can be. For that way, he will receive the most glory and the best glory from you. So the Lord is always in control. Keep that in mind, the rule and the peace of God that you can have in your life. Let's look at number three. Besides being able to experience the love of Christ and the peace of God, we're also to be indwelt with the word of Christ. And that's a very critical point, and I want to park on that for a moment because God wants us to be such people of his word. Now, it's important for us to read his word. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.